Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. Again, we're honored to have Colonel Douglas McGregor 
on the podcast. He needs no further introduction. The topic, though, should be told. It's one year of war in Ukraine. What does the colonel think will happen next? Colonel McGregor, welcome to the Michael Savage podcast. A pleasure to see you, sir. Good to see you as well. I'm still living. Isn't that wonderful? Every day is a holiday, right? (laughs) I'm 81 years old, and I keep saying, hey, it's a good day today, isn't it? Sure. Every day above ground is a good day. That's what you soldiers say. We We civilians get to know that as we get older. Colonel, strike me as being all that old, doctor. I have an eternally mischievous spirit. Uh, That's important. Be a a subverter. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. Not a converter, just a subverter. That's right. If not a converter. Colonel McGregor, you need no further introduction. You're very well known. You're one of the few reputable military voices that has. You fought in wars. You're honored uh i mean you were you did so many great things in the military you are one of the only voices for peace however since we began discussing this issue months ago i noticed that there are grassroots peace movements springing up around the world not only in germany which you rarely see reuters won't cover it very much here in america we have peace marches that the mainstream media will not cover it's like vietnam all over again only in reverse, where conservatives are the peaceniks and the liberals are the warmongers. It's crazy. Well, I'm not sure that conservative and uh, liberal mean as much as they once did. Too many of the so-called conservatives strike me as being closet liberals anyway. We don't know what they are. We have no idea who they are. Just, let's just say naked Machiavellian self-interested people without any thought about what might happen if the war keeps getting bigger. One year of war in Ukraine marked last week. Biden makes a surprise visit to to Kiev. Putin addresses his own people. Why has Biden been turned from sort of a moderate in a way a few months ago to almost a full scale warmonger? What's going on, Colonel? Well, you're asking me a a tough question. I'm not a political expert. All I know is that Increasingly, I view him as a cardboard cutout president who essentially reads whatever is put in front of him and signs whatever is put in front of him. But I think, yeah, I I don't think he's really in charge. And you're absolutely right. If you go back and look at uh, Biden in the 90s or even in the early part of this century, he was a much more reasonable and moderate person who certainly was not in favor of uh, interventionism and wars that, that were unnecessary. So. I, I I just don't pay too much attention to him, but I listen to what he says because that's what his donors, backers, sponsors, whatever you want to call them, want. So who's behind them? The military industrial complex, so-called? Well, I'm sure that's part of it, but there are lots of different groups of people that have an interest in prosecuting this war. Uh, it's it. Let's the only thing I can say with absolute certainty is that Americans are not interested in going to war with Russia. Most Americans don't know anything about Russia. They don't know much about Ukraine. They don't understand how this came about. Uh, and and frankly, most of them, as you know, doctor, aren't, aren't interested. I mean, that's the biggest problem we well, have. You, you know, interesting, Colonel, you say most of them. I, I agree with you with my intuitive sense of what America feels, which I've developed over many years of working as a talk show host. But there have been no real polls. And when they are out, it's like 47 percent are opposed to the war. I. How do we know how many people really want war in this country? Well, you're right. Uh, Polls are very deceptive, and it it depends on the question that's asked and how it's asked. Yes. But, but, you know, frankly speaking, I I was out in the western part of this state, and people said, uh, you know, really, I'm not paying attention to it. You know, I got more problems. I got my own problems. My own Americans, they have their own domestic issues, inflation. Yeah. And then I run into a few that have a son somewhere who's in the, the Army or the Marines or the Navy or the Air Force, and they'll say, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what they want to fight these people for. Why, well, uh-huh. I don't even know what it's about. I hope right. my son doesn't get involved. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I hear agree. that a lot. You know, this past week, Colonel, we saw China come up with a peace plan. I thought it was very reasonable, of course. Not of course. I did think it was very reasonable and, comma, of course, it was reasonable immediately rejected by that creepy Jake Sullivan, 
and the establishment media literally before the words left the Chinese diplomats mouth called for a ceasefire in place. Peace talks as soon as possible not to threaten using nuclear weapons. I read it very carefully. Immediately, the EU warmongers rejected this peace plan, saying that China had already supported Moscow in the war. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Why has China entered in at this point in a more dramatic way? Why do you think they understand they have to take a side sort of with not neutrality? It's sort of on the side of Russia, isn't it? Well, you've you hit an enormous nail on the head. This is a hugely important issue. The biggest mistake we could possibly make was to dismiss a proposal by the Chinese out of hand. Right. This is the largest country in the world. And, you know, their industrial base today that is capable of producing ammunition, missiles, rockets, and so forth, is twice the size of what ours was during the height of the Second World War. Wait, let's pause on that. That's very important. China has a native ability to produce twice and is producing twice the amount of the weaponry. Well, they're not producing it at the moment, but they have the capacity to do it. To produce twice the amount of weaponry we produced at the height of World War II? Yes. You're kidding. With General Motors, General Dynamics, U.S. Steel? Yes. This is what people don't seem to understand. And thus far, contrary to popular belief, the Chinese have not provided material support to Russia. Not? Have not? No. What the Chinese have said repeatedly to the Russians is, we understand your position. Mm -hmm. And uh, we understand what you're trying to do, but we would like you to do this quickly and find a way to end it quickly. And that that makes perfect sense if you're Chinese, because your preeminent goal is to build the rail lines between China and Europe for this one belt, one road program. Mm. Most of that rail has to go straight through Ukraine. Oh, my God. Russia and white Russia, Mm -hmm. because that's where you've got to go to reach the terminals in Europe. So that's what they want to do. And the Russians had signed on with the Chinese years ago to help them by helping them to stabilize Central Asia. Mm. If you go to the various stands, as people call them, the the people that rule those countries, the governments are much more. The stands as Uzbekistan, et cetera. Kazakhstan and Turkestan and so forth. They're much more comfortable with the Russians than they are with the Chinese. They don't trust the Chinese. They don't like the Chinese, but they're willing to cooperate. And the Russians have essentially backed them, provided them with support when they needed it. And the Chinese have been very grateful for that stability because you you can't do business in a crisis, in a chaotic, war-torn area. So the Chinese were never happy about what was happening in Ukraine, but they understood it. And there's something else here. If you go to Latin America right now, Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, everyone is looking at what's happening in Europe, in Eastern Europe. Most are shocked. But on the whole, most of the people watching are sympathetic to Russia's position. And that's largely because they see Russia as confronting the United States and its European allies. And they know that the Russians have a legitimate security concern and But they, too, want this to be over. And they're watching carefully to see what the Russians do. The Russians could, and this is something that we don't talk about very much, they have rocket artillery batteries with thermobaric warheads. This is fuel air explosive. These are huge warheads that they can launch. A, a, a thermobaric warhead effectively <clears throat> detonates, <clears throat> and let us say for a mile in every direction, All of the oxygen is sucked out of the area and used to detonate this vapor that effectively annihilates everything within within a mile and burns it to a crisp. Wait, it sounds like a neutron bomb in a way. (laughs) Well, it is, except it does enormous damage. The neutron bomb was designed to kill life, but nothing else. Yes, the Pope called it a humane The Russians have been very, (laughs) yeah, but the Russians have been very economical with the use of this because they don't want to kill civilians. They know that there are large numbers of people living in these towns and cities in the Donbass, and they're also aware that they have an audience. They're not worried about what you and I think. They don't care what Washington says. They no longer care what the Europeans think, 
but they do care what the Chinese think, the Japanese, the Southeast Asians, the Indians, the Arabs, the Africans, and Latin Americans, because they, they know they need to do business with them, and they can't build an alternative monetary system. In other words, they can't de-dollarize and get out from under our monetary system, out from under our financial system, without all of these others participating. So they're very sensitive to what people when think. When you say they, who are the they's? The Russians. Got it. So the people in Moscow, and I'll tell you, it's not necessarily the population. The population is just furious. They want Ukrainians to be ground into dust. It's the Russian people want it over with through massive, oh, massive warfare, old yes. style, pulverize them. Yes. And Putin has said, no, he's not going to do that, which is why it takes longer. It's why that they're systematically clearing towns and cities. I mean, Putin actually made a speech. It was not broadcast in the West. But he said, look, there are people that have lived in some of these homes, their families for 200 years. If you destroy the house, mm. where do they go? Mm. Where do they live? He's, so he's made it very clear that he's not insensitive to this. All this nonsense about Russian barbarism, all these things they're, they're being accused of that are lifted from history books from World War II about the Soviets. Mm -hmm. None of that applies. Mm -hmm. So this helps to explain, you know, some of the slowness. Now that we have offended the Chinese, we've snubbed their peace proposal. The Chinese are going to provide some material help to the Russians. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to come in the form of large quantities, millions of rounds of artillery that they no longer need that are sitting in warehouses. Wait, wait, that the Chinese no longer need. Yes. What do you mean? They're old munitions. Yes. Use them up. Yeah. And they'll load the rail cars. And I, I was talking to a Russian just the other day and he explained to me that each rail car carries 60 tons. Oh, God. And so you're talking about a, a train of 100 cars. Each one's loaded down with 100 tons of hard shell artillery ammunition. And for that matter, they can also load up rockets and missiles. Oh, my because God. Because they largely use similar systems. They have upgraded their 152 millimeter artillery system to 155 but that that means that they can give the russians all the 152 millimeter ammunition which is what the russians use so the chinese want, want to get rid of the old ammo God. yes so i think that's going to happen now oh my God. and we were very stupid we should have welcomed their interest and concern because it was genuine yes the, the chinese are not unsympathetic to the russians but they have no interest in drawing out this conflict it looks more and more as though the only people that want to drag this out and prolong it are sitting in Washington, D.C. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's an awful lot to digest. Immediately after the Chinese made that peace proposal, Secretary of Hate, Anthony Blinky Blinken, the powerful Zeus-like figure, <laughs> Blinky Blinken, came out and said uh, terrible things would be a serious problem. Senator Lindsey Graham, who grew up in a house of ill repute above a gambling hall in a bar, uh, said it would be the most catastrophic thing that could happen to the U.S.-China relationship. That would change everything forever. So he's obviously uh, Lindsey Graham, to me, is one of the worst kinds. And then, of course, we had the, the Republican delegation with these characters going over there, so-called Republicans, McCall and, and others. Pushing more will give you as much as you need forever, they said to the comedian. Can we chip in and buy him a suit, by the way, for the next appearance? Must uh, we continue? I'm not, I'm not contributing. I think he should go back to pennies or something and get more. I don't understand why he thinks appearing in a green undershirt is appealing to the world, but it's working. The Savage Nation. It's Savage on Demand. By the way, Colonel, I have to you know, step off the stage of seriousness for a second. He's got a good racket going. Whatever he asks for, it's not enough. So yeah. you you give me you give me uh, you give me nuclear weapons. Not good. We want hydrogen bomb. Yeah. yeah. Give hydrogen bomb. We want B B fifty two now. This guy knows the game. Always say it's not enough. Always make everyone feel bad. But they're not reacting to that. They're not reacting to guilt. There's another reason for it. And what is that reason? is what simply economic reasons, military, industrial. Con I don't believe it can only be that. Well, isn't this a good case of wag the dog? 
I think it's the domino theory. It's the it's the repetitive uh, Vietnam era domino theory that if we let uh, Russia take yeah. Ukraine, they're going to take Poland and the Baltic states. Yeah, Isn't that the domino theory all over again? Yeah, well, that that's part of the rationale for this, which makes no sense because there's no evidence for it. I mean, Professor Mearsheimer has made that comment over and over and over again. He said this is all evidence free analysis. Uh-huh. <laughs> there, there is no there is no evidence whatsoever that the Russians are interested in conquering Eastern Europe. That's a lot of nonsense. They certainly don't want to rule non-Russians. They've had their 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 noses full of that for years. That they look back on that as having been a disaster privately, economically for Russia. So no, they're they're not interested in that. But I think the problem we have right now is that we're we've dug this hole very deep mm-hmm. and we don't know how to get out of it. And so we're going to continue to dig. Well, it's like Russia dug its hole. We've dug our hole with the proxy war of Ukraine. Zelensky is a man who makes Napoleon look like a moderate in terms of his his egomania and madness. I've never seen anyone with a worse Napoleonic complex from a psychological point of view than this man. Well, if you're if you're a weak state and you are fighting a larger state than yours Mm. and you think that you're in a fight for your life, and that apparently is the case for Mr. Zelensky and his government, then you will do anything in your power to involve other great powers right. in your war in the hopes that they will come in and win it for you. Oh, sure. You always want a bigger guy to protect you in a fight. Yeah. So th- thus far, he's been successful, at least in terms of equipment. And look, we don't know how many thousands of non-Ukrainians in Ukrainian uniform there are. We think there are certainly 20,000 Poles serving in Ukrainian uniform. Really? Yes. And and we could hear them on the radios. The Russians reported all the time and they're very good soldiers. There's a cemetery in Poland that supposedly contains 2000 to 2500 dead Polish soldiers that were killed in the war. Uh, Then you have uh, thousands of other foreigners. We don't know how many thousands of Americans operating as contractors. That's what I want to know. How many U.S. special forces are actually on the ground in your estimation? I, I don't know. I can't. You know, you'd have to ask somebody with a lot of experience in special forces. But let's be frank. They've been there from the beginning and there are a lot of them there. So they're like the advisors in Vietnam in the beginning again. Well, it's more than that now, because when you get up above the, the, the tactical level, you find that staffs are manned in many cases by NATO officers. You have NATO officers at the highest levels as well as at the intermediate level, the operational level, helping to plan operations. Remember, we have cells of 50 and 60 analysts in various places that are providing intelligence information to the Ukrainians that come from our space-based systems. That's why the Ukrainians occasionally have some success, because the space-based surveillance tells them, oh, look, the Russians don't have anybody at this point attack here, and they occasionally have some success before they're driven back. Unbelievable. So this has been going on for quite some time, and you know, Putin in his speech made it very clear that these people are not going to be treated as foreign soldiers. They're going to be treated as mercenaries that are not protected under the Geneva Convention. So once this offensive, which has begun, grinds further north and further west as they overcome Ukrainian forces and Ukrainian defenses, we're going to see a lot of people get out of the way or face death. Colonel, you know, a few questions pop up as you speak. Many questions arise. Uh, We're going to talk, if we can, in a moment about President Lukashenko of Belarus. Belarus is is a strong ally of Russia, correct? Yes. China announced the visit of President Lukashenko of Belarus to China. What what does that indicate? Well, there are only eight million people living in Belarus. In other words, white Russia, only eight million people. And I'm sure that he's interested in whatever foreign aid can be provided uh, that can help him build up his country. When you say only eight million, you mean that sarcastically, right? Yeah, I, I'm serious. Only eight million people. And, and we, we tend to look at white Russia and we think, oh, well, that must have 40 or 50 million people in it. Just as Ukraine once had 37.4 million. Now it's down to about 18 to 22 million. So the, the, the point is that these are not large countries per se, and they have an interest in plugging into China because they know they cannot turn to the West. We've treated Lukashenko as a pariah. Mm. We tried to stage a color revolution against him. Uh, we did. We tried to do the same thing there that we did in Ukraine. 
Yes. Oh, but it failed. And wait, that was the same McCain and uh, uh, Newland. I don't know that McCain was still alive at that point. Ah. But it's, you know, the same cast of uh, <laughs> actors in, in Washington, obviously. A PhD. All we did was succeed in, in driving white Russia into Russia's arms. Oh, boy. Something odd happened this week. Uh, Mr. Zelensky on Sunday fired his number one commander. What happened, do you think? Well, it's all speculative. None of us know with precision what happened. He'd been in command, I think, since August. Uh, there are any number of reasons that you remove somebody like that. It, it could be that he told Zelensky the hard facts about the Donetsk Basin, the Donbass, because this is effectively what Ukrainians have fought hardest to keep, because it's the area with the greatest potential economically. And the loss of the Donbass is, a, is an absolute fact at this point. They can't retain it. They've taken terrible casualties. And he may have told Zelensky that, and that may have said, well, then you're fired. You failed. Well, they made it. The cover story was over um, uh, corruption. Yeah. Well, then you've got to get rid of the whole government. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that place wallows in corruption. In your recent uh, interviews, you said things such as the Ukrainians are staring down the barrel of a very big gun. Yes. Um, Ukraine is about to be annihilated. The Ukrainian army, definitely. So I think the Ukrainian state is in is in ruins. I don't know that Ukraine will ever recover from this war, doctor. Ever recover. Yeah. I mean, how can they? Most right. of their most of these people, the 10 plus million that have left the country when they've been interviewed in Europe. Uh, and remember, two million of them went to Russia because they were Russians. Uh, another eight to nine million are Ukrainians. They went west. And when you ask them, are you going back when the war is over? And they universally say no. Why would they? They have it I'll so good go now back. in Western nations. Many of them are educated, speak English. They're yeah. hardworking. They're not leeches. They contribute to society and they make for good citizens. Of course, they could always go to Mexico and import a few million people uh, from Guatemala or Mexico into uh, Ukraine to rebuild it. That's a joke, a terrible joke. Yeah, bad one. Yeah. A very bad joke. But we don't know where they're going to where are they going to conscript people to work in Ukraine from Africa the way they're doing in Germany? I, I have no idea. No, I don't, I don't know what the Germans are thinking because they certainly don't need that. Yeah, what are they thinking? I can tell you what they're thinking. I, I can make a wild guess of why the psychopathic socialists who run Germany are bringing in Africans from Africa into Germany when they don't need the workers. And that is to counteract the white male in Germany who they fear will become a force that they want to destroy. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. awful. It's racism of the worst kind. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. I know you don't want to get dragged into my particular, uh, quote, paranoid view of the world, but I, I'll tell you, the, the longer I look at this, the worse it gets, the uglier it gets. And, you know, I said something the other day on one of my little podcasts somewhere or my YouTube pieces. I said, you know, we were told uh, that when women gained power, there would be more peace in the world. And I said, well, take a look at Europe and Scandinavia. Look at Scandinavia was once basically a blessed place on Earth, highly neutral since World War II, by and large. And now they become gung ho, bloodthirsty, militant under Millennial women who are running these countries. Well, it's been 80 years since the Second World War ended. They, they haven't seen or witnessed a real war in that time frame. So there are lots of people in Europe and in North America, doctor, who've lost their healthy fear of war. Fear of war. I mean, everyone should be afraid of war. Yes. The problem is that. that well, that's we, a great statement. That's a hell of a title. Everyone should be afraid of war. Absolutely. But the problem is that we haven't fought real wars in, in that sense. What we fought over the last 30 years are a series of what I would call colonial brushfire wars. We faced very weak opponents in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, elsewhere. We've dominated them with firepower. They have no organization. That is, they don't have real armies, real air forces, let alone real navies. And uh, we've patted ourselves on the back and congratulated ourselves as great warriors and victors in battle. 
when in truth, you know, we did essentially what the British did at a place like Omdurman in 1999, the Churchill's little cavalry charge. You were facing large numbers of tribal fighters who had no chance whatsoever against machine guns and rapid fire artillery in Africa. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the thing, th this is what people lose sight of. And so we wrongly concluded, well, war is something that happens in someone else's country. War never happens here. It happens overseas. And we never take heavy casualties. We take very few casualties. And that's because we're the best. Well, you know, put that all together and, and you are diluted on a, on an Olympic level. Mm -hmm. And so we have no idea what we're dealing with in Ukraine and Russia when it went in at first, because it went in in a very sort of restrained and tempered manner because Putin still thought Ukrainians, well, they're brother Slavs. We don't want to do damage to them. And we want to end this quickly. We just want to come to a settlement over neutrality for Ukraine and autonomy for the two republics and recognizing the legitimacy of Crimea. And suddenly he wakes up halfway through this thing in the summer and says, my God, I'm at war with the United States and the whole NATO alliance. He made a big mistake, didn't he? He, he also yeah. made a mistake. Yes. So now what's he done? Well, what would you do? You'd get ready to fight a real war. Well, that's a great way. This is a great junction. Would he get ready to fight this inevitable great war and unleash his real might? Or will he seek to back out and save face? No, no, no. He, he sees this and his countrymen see this as a, a direct challenge to their existence. The only alternative that we've we've provided to them is, well, we'll be we'll be happy to make peace with you. As soon as this man, <clears throat> Putin, is removed, the government is replaced, and we dismember Russia. That's well, what is this what with Zelensky? What's with Zelensky making foolish statements such as our tanks will be in Red Square? That well, is one of the, there you that, go. That's and one of the iron, and they're going to have iron crosses painted on them. Imagine right. how the Russians feel about that's that. That's what I'm saying. They remember the Nazi armies invading Russia. How could Zelensky make a statement like that that is so utterly provocative and stupid is what I want to know. Well, he's irresponsible. But then again, so are the people in Washington. Listen to them. You know, Lindsey Graham stands out there and says, well, somebody needs to take this man Putin out. Somebody needs to take him out. Oh, my God. Now, now we're going to advocate for the assassination of world leaders. A few months ago, few months ago we all agreed that would be a horrendous thing to even say. It's, a, it's outrageous nonsense. Eisenhower would have locked him up for it. It is sort of seditious to provoke yeah. a, a world leader like that. So where does that leave us? I mean, uh, everyone should be afraid of war. Those of us who were at least punched in the nose once in our life know what war is just from punching the nose <laughs> when you get a blackout from a good punch in the nose sure but, you know most people live in a bubble they're on medication they don't e even know the world they are living in or what it is so when the enemy comes to their gates in america the liberal embraces the enemy and wants to understand the enemy they don't <laughs> even they they want to embrace the one who breaks through their front door i see it over and over again yeah crazy country we're living in and none, none of it makes sense to me anymore and i don't know how this ends colonel i honestly don't know where this goes i mean nobody can predict where this is going to go can we oh i think it's dangerous to make too many predictions but uh, it's very clear that if you're sitting in moscow you realize that you only have one path forward and that is to complete the destruction of the ukrainian army oof. that has to happen now, once that's done, there may be a chance for some sort of settlement. The only other thing that I think uh, Moscow looks for is a potential change in some of the governments in Europe. Now, I know that uh, the foreign minister of Germany is probably on the glide path to elimination from the government. She's not likely to last too much longer. She's made all sorts of stupid statements along the lines of, we, as part of Europe, are at war with Russia. No. Well, that didn't go down well in Germany because no one remembers voting for war with Russia. Uh, and now Schultz, you know, he's trying to recover from all of this, but doesn't seem to have the guts to get rid of her and make a U-turn. You made a great point in the last podcast with me. 
since corroborated by an awful lot of people. Zelensky is a native Russian speaker who did not even speak Ukrainian. He had to learn Ukrainian. That's, that's right. That's an odd, odd thing to learn that he came from an area of Ukraine where Russian was a native language and that he himself, as I said yesterday during a YouTube piece, speaks Ukrainian as a second language. Well, a Ukrainian told me the other day that it's very easy to pick it out. Apparently, this town of Bakhmut that we've heard so much about. Yes. Center of fighting. Well, in, in Russian, you say Bakhmut. But in Ukrainian, for instance, you say Bakhmut. <laughs> and he said he, he fumbles all the time. Whenever he mentions Bakhmut, he says Bakhmut instead of Bakhmut. So people are actually reminded that the man really isn't a native Ukrainian speaker at all. And that's, you know, we dismiss these things in the United States, these minor intonations, yes, uh, these inflections. But, you know, in Europe, these are very meaningful things. Absolutely. Wars have been fought over a difference in dialect. So uh, borders, language, culture, apparently Joe Biden is will give them all they need for as long as they need to protect their borders, language and culture in Ukraine, while our southern border is a sieve. Do I have to mention the drugs, the uh, millions of people pouring over our border like invading cells? I, I know I'm not supposed to make that point, uh, but I do. I couldn't believe the other day Janet Yellen, the Yenta from Brooklyn, gets up and repeats the same thing. We'll give them all the money they need for as long as it takes, whatever it takes. Every one of them had the same message. We support Ukraine with uh, whatever they need for as long as they need it. Aren't we running low on ammunition? Well, our stocks are very low. You know, we've we've done this to ourselves, obviously. And we have been asking uh, allies to pitch in. I mean, one of the reasons that Biden went to visit Keefe and then also uh, Warsaw was that he's trying to bolster support in Europe inside the NATO alliance for what we're doing in Ukraine. Behind the scenes, NATO is not some sort of unified juggernaut. That's a lot of nonsense. NATO is falling apart. More and more Europeans are saying, we didn't, we didn't sign up for this. We don't want it. We don't want to mobilize and go to war against Russia. And they don't see any need to do so. Well, I see peace movement. I see peace protests or anti-war protests occurring throughout Europe and America, again, grassroots, very much like uh, the Vietnam era here in America, and again, suppressed by the mainstream media. I don't know what the support is for war within NATO. Do we have any idea? Uh, I can tell you that once you get below the political level and you start uh, pressing hard for information, there is by no means unanimity uh, of opinion regarding what is happening in Eastern Europe. Okay. I think French general officers are more divided than others. Mm. The German generals are, are quiet for fear that they will be accused of being politicized and closet Nazis or something. Of course. So they're afraid to say anything. Mm. Uh, the people I always, I always found it interesting when I was serving in, in shape, the people most anxious to bomb the Serbs and start a war in the Balkans were the people who lived up in Norway. The further, away, the further away you oh. got from the theater of war, the more anxious the British, the Canadians, the Americans, the Norwegians were to wage war. As soon as you got on the continent and started moving in the direction of where the war zone was, you didn't find much support. Mm. The Italians, the Greeks, the Germans, the Austrians, very, very uncomfortable with the whole thing. So I think you have something like that happening right now. And remember, nobody was consulted on any of this. And they're very, very worried. I, I'm sure you were aware that Quite recently, the Ukrainians, I say the Ukrainians or someone in the Ukrainian military, succeeded in attacking uh, the Russian equivalent of an AWACS aircraft, airborne warning and control system up in white Russia, in Belarusia. And people said, oh, no, now we're going to get a war with white Russia as well as Russia and all hell's going to break loose. In reality, nothing like that happened because both Lukashenko and Putin do not want to expand this war. They mm. want to contain it because they want to bring it to an end. Mm. We are the ones who keep trying to spread the wealth, so to say, and expand this conflict, which, of course, is dangerous and disastrous. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Since China made this move for peace, do you think there's been a change under the surface towards peace? Here in the United States? No, 
uh, even I noticed even Zelensky shut his mouth for a few hours. Even the Polish president said this is something we should seriously examine. Well, Zelensky and- said, yes, I little Zelensky, the comedian, said he'd like to meet with Xi uh, um, of China. Of course he would, because a man of his ego will only talk to the head guy, obviously. Yeah. A diplomat's not good enough for him. Well, the Germans uh, are obviously interested in, in doing business with the Chinese, but I think Schultz is uh, effectively intimidated. He's afraid. He doesn't want to contradict anybody in Washington. Look, this is the man who's head of his country, effectively, and has yet to raise the issue of the Nord Stream 2. I mean, you would think that, that he would have stood up and said, wait a minute, we've been allies for decades. We like the United States. We've supported the United States. Why did you do this? We know that we know the U.S. blew up Nord Stream 2. Well, I think the evidence is, is pretty substantial. I, I think Cy Hirsch has done a good job. He may not have all the details right in terms of what was technically done. Who knows? I remember but, when it happened, I, 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 I said, why would the Russians blow up their own pipeline? It yeah. just didn't make sense. You own a gas station in town and you blow up the, ga- the, pipe, the gas line coming into your gas station. No, you don't. I mean, you, sometimes you have to reduce it to a, a little small microcosm to understand an issue. Of course, Russia wouldn't blow up the Nord Stream pipeline, which is what Jake Sullivan said they did. And then you have President Biden, who warned everybody that we would do it. And when they said how, he said, don't worry, we'll do it. How we did they do, do it? it? And then Newland stands up and says, we will do it. How did we they do it? it? Well, you got if you read Cy Hirsch's article, he talks about the use of uh, underwater uh, experts in the Navy, in other words, deep sea divers who went down there and planted charges and they were, it was done under the cover of an exercise. Oh boy, That, that may be true. I, I have no idea, of course. but I do know that technically we're well positioned to do those kinds of things. But what was the point to cut off revenue to Russia? Was that the, the short term goal? I think it was uh, twofold. It was first of all to cut off revenue to Russia, of course, which was stupid because yeah. they made it up very easily. Yes. But secondly, it was also to put the Germans on notice. You know, you've been doing business with the Russians and we have never really approved of this. We don't like it. And you're going to get back in line and do what we tell you to do. Oh, my God. Are they burning their grandmother's mahogany furniture yet? Or what are they doing for an alternate energy source? Well, they haven't had that bad a winter, frankly. Um. Uh, I mean, it's been bad, but not as bad as it could have been. And that may change next year. But the bottom line is, I think Germans are beginning to say, why are we in this alliance? So we're at a a, a junction now. You know, you've been on this podcast several times and we were, you know, you rationally said that the invasion would occur with the 250,000 or so Russian troops ready to attack North and West, that it would occur once the ground froze over. The ground has frozen over and they've got... No, unfortunately, in southern Ukraine, we had some areas that are frozen and some that aren't. Ah, so even the Ukrainians that have tried to launch some counterattacks were restricted to the roads, because if you drive any armored fighting vehicle, truck or track, doesn't matter off the road, you sink down in 10 or 15 feet of black earth. Oh, my God. And so you know, it- this black earth was so good. I mean, it's so fruitful. Yes. A friend of mine told me, you know, Doug, you could stick a stick, just stick a stick in it. And within a few days, a tree comes out. I mean, he was exaggerating, but he was he was telling the truth. And people don't know this, but during World War II, when the Germans obviously conquered all of Ukraine and were in Russia, Hitler had trainloads of this black earth sent back to Germany. Oh, my God. It's that good. Where, what is the geological origin of this? Soil? Oh, I don't know. you got to get a geologist. To oh, tell I'd you like that. to look into it because it, it, it can't be volcanic. All I know is that it is extremely fertile. Probably a, a peat. I would guess it's a peat over set or eons of peat development, which is extremely fertile. This is astounding. Of course, we all know that Ukraine was the breadbasket of Europe. Everyone's known that forever. And we talked about that. And we uh, I went to buy laundry detergent today. The price is double, as I knew it would be, because all petroleum based products are doubling and tripling in price. I'm, I'm watching the little supermarket things. Sure. Uh, and you could see it in just plain old laundry detergent, which is a derivation of a petroleum byproduct. What's going on? You know, I am hopeful intuitively that once China stepped up with a peace plan, no matter what the warmongers and the machine of war 
is officially saying, I think there's a lot of second thinking going on, Colonel, that they better back off from their militancy because this could get out of hand. What do you you think? That's I, possible? I wish I could find evidence for it, but I just okay. I understand there's no evidence for it. It's a pure <laughs> it's a pure leap of faith that the world will come to its senses before it is too late. And that leads us to the last question of the day as a military man. My worst fear is not that Russia invades on two fronts, but that something worse happens and that we make the mistake of bombing some emplacements in Russia. We, the U.S. or NATO, we did it in Serbia. We repainted United States warplanes, as everyone well knows, with NATO markings and our bombers bombed Serbia. They bombed every bridge on the Danube River, which had not happened ever in history, by the way. The Serbs looked up and said, wait a minute. The last time we saw planes flying over Belgrade was when the Nazis were bombing us. They were heartbroken because they were great allies of America during World War II. They couldn't believe what we were doing to them. They weren't fooled by the NATO markings. I fear that this government could take United States weaponry, repaint it with NATO markings and start bombing into Russia. You think that's a crazy possibility? You, you know, doctor, I don't know. I really don't know. But I, what I can tell you is that I saw a German general with tears in his eyes when we bombed Belgrade. At the time. Yes, because he said all of us <clears throat> supported NATO because we believed that NATO's mission was to prevent another war in Europe from ever breaking out. Mm. And he said, here we are waging war against another European nation. The Germans overwhelmingly were uncomfortable with that. All the German officers disliked it intensely. So it was a secretary of hate, Madeleine Albright, who was literally dancing with glee during the bombing with her mad, her mad assistant, Jamie, I remember very well because I went on the air for 37 straight days eating my guts out over this. I was the only one in the American broadcasting who understood how disastrous this was for the world that Clinton would do this. And he did it. And I'm afraid that the same mentality, the same mindset is operational right now. Well, it may be. But the thing we need to keep in mind, and this is something I repeat over and over and over again, Russia is not Serbia. <laughs> Russia is not Iraq. Wake up. The Russians are not going to take any of this lying down. What you're seeing the Russians do <coughs> is understandable in the context of what they're trying to achieve. They want to press ahead, eliminate this hateful regime in Kiev. They want to restore some degree of stability. They would like to negotiate an end to this, but they're doing it all because of the audience that we mentioned at the beginning. They're not just performing for us. They're performing for the rest of the world, trying to demonstrate to the rest of the world that their cause is just, and they are not what we say they are. Well, you know, now you sound, I'm afraid we're both going to be called Putin apologists now. Oh, God. Anytime a man calls for peace, he's now called a Putin apologist. But I, that's not working anywhere anymore. That's just a standard knee-jerk reaction. And the legions of uh, social media bots that the entire war machine has online are who I see saying things like that. Even uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News is laughing that off right now because he was named as the number one stu uh, Putin stooge. This is not a laughing matter. This is death. You last time told us over 150,000 Ukrainians were dead from this. Over 100,000 Russians. Are those numbers still roughly? No, 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 no. Only about 20 to 25,000 Russian dead. Ah, We keep trying to inflate that number to create the illusion that the Ukrainians have been successful. Ah. The Ukrainian dead are somewhere is now up in about 160 to 190,000 dead, maybe 200,000. We don't know. They lost tens of thousands of men in and around Bakhmut and these various areas that they've been fighting in over the last six or seven weeks. Terrible, yeah. terrible losses. I'm sure you must have seen it. There, a Marine was a former Marine who was fighting in the so-called Foreign Legion of Ukraine was quoted as saying that people going to Bakhmut are told their life expectancy fighting the Russians is about four hours. Michael Savage, a host like no other. What are the Russians using to fight these waves of, uh, of Ukrainian foreign troops? 70, 75% of all the casualties inflicted result from artillery, 
rockets and missiles and so mortars. Not, not hand-to-hand small arms fire. No, very, very few, very few people are dying from small arms fire. It looks a lot like the World War I battlefield. Oh, my God. Except that, again, you know, the Russians have this tremendous preponderance in artillery and rockets and missiles and mortars, and they're very accurate. It's very different from the past. They have a very great system. They use quadcopters, unmanned aerial vehicles. They have those downlinked to the batteries. The batteries get instantaneous GPS coordinates, and then they let loose. So they they're, using, they're using drones to target the, the artillery, artillery? Yes, of course. They, they, they bring, the, bring these drones over right on top of the soldiers that are in their oh. you know, fortifications or oh my God. trenches, as well as the enemy's artillery. Ukrainian artillery is destroyed left and right the same way. We don't see any of this. It's hidden from the media. It's hidden. Well, from- that's one of the problems right now. People are going to be shocked when, when the truth comes out at some point on a number of different fronts, I suspect. Everyone- March may turn out to be the month. You think shortly once the ground freezes over? Or? No, I, I, I think things are crumbling in southern Ukraine, and they have been for a few weeks now. And I think that you're going to see incremental movement of hundreds of thousands of troops forward. But they're not going to announce it. It's mm. just going to happen. And remember, mm. they're not stupid. They know that we can track their movements. They know that we're providing location data for Russian forces. For Ukrainian forces. Yeah, or excuse me, Ukrainian forces, yes. I'm listening so to every word. very methodical. But so wait, this is important for me as a civilian. The Russians can target Ukrainian troop emplacements yes. very accurately because of drones. Right. The Ukrainians can track Russian troop movements and emplacements very accurately because we provide data to them from satellites, correct? Yes, mostly so, satellites because a lot of their drones have been shot down or don't don't operate any longer. Well, that leads me to the next big question. Does anyone know? Do the Russians have the capacity to shoot down United States satellites that are providing this kind of GPS? Yes. Do you think they will? Will we have a Star Wars? I, I, I think that right now the concern is as follows. There's something called the Kessler effect. The Kessler effect, this is a physicist who dis- determined that if you begin destroying satellites, you create clouds of debris in space mm. and you risk destroying your own satellites. Mm. Remember, everything is in, a, in an orbit that is very carefully constructed. So it, virtually everything, thousands of satellites up there are moving on independent paths, but they're all deconflicted. Now, mm-hmm. if you start destroying five, six, seven, eight, Piece then you of- get this debris, and it begins to play havoc with everything. Oh, my God. So I think the Russians have decided, at least for the moment, no. But again, it's like everything else. If you press the envelope, you push it hard enough. Yeah, they don't care about tomorrow. It's yeah. got to be today. I understand how they work. I also understand the Russian military mind because I, as an amateur, have studied it. And they have a totally different concept of warfare than we do. And that is to actually they'll burn men up if they have to, won't they? Well, right now, I'd say no. And I'll tell you why. Mm. Uh, I think they have been extremely careful about not wasting manpower. Mm. The quickest way to be relieved on the Russian side is to sacrifice people needlessly. Mm. Putin is very sensitive to it. He's sensitive to it because of the public opinion and support for the war. Colonel, he's like a liberal in the Russian uh, uh, domestic. Well, there's there's one more reason that you've got to you've got to put into the calculus. And that is very simply, he doesn't know what we're going to do. In other words, he wants to crush the Ukrainian army, but he wants his force to be intact because he's afraid that Uh. we will be stupid. And that we will try to intervene on the ground in Western Ukraine. Oh, I believe we will. When you and he's it. afraid if that happens, then he must have his army largely intact to deal with it. Well, I fear the same thing. I brought it up a little earlier. I actually fear that this crazy administration could send ground troops in. They're already there. We agree. It's logical that we have special forces manning, instructing, advising, whatever. How big a step is it to send troops to actually fight the Russians, which they're no doubt doing. You and I probably know you better than me that we have snipers who are killing Russians. Wouldn't you say that's a likely possibility? Uh, At the the moment, no, I don't think it is. There may be some, but not very many. I think most of what we have over there 
in civilian clothes are, are so-called contractors operating in staffs, operating high-end high, uh, high conventional warfare. What am, what am I talking about? Your HIMARS, your rocket artillery that we've been giving the Ukrainians, it's all operated by Westerners. Mm. You know, when these so-called leopard tanks arrive, yeah. Who's they're going to have to be operated by Europeans Germans. that are in NATO because the Ukrainians cannot be rapidly trained to use these things. One Ukrainian posted, or several Ukrainians actually posted on their blogs, we may be allowed to drive the equipment, but the rest of it will be out of our hands. I get it. Aiming, targeting, firing. Yes. Colonel, any last thoughts? The great title today, again, everyone should be afraid of war. I'm going to call this podcast, Colonel McGregor, everyone should be afraid of war. Is that, does that summarize it all? I think so. And we need to sober up and understand that this war can visit us. How? Well, we could end up fighting with the Russians and the Russians will no longer treat our continental United States as an untouchable sanctuary. What do you mean? Use a submarine based launch? Of course. They can also sink anything that comes in or goes out of our harbors. They can play havoc with us. By the way, you pointed out that the uh, southern border has been open. We've got 2.5 million illegals in the country, thousands of Chinese, thousands of Russians. I was told yesterday that last year, an estimated 20,000 Russians entered the country illegally. Now, I'm sure escape. most of these people wanted to come for various reasons. But if you think all 20,000 <laughs> did, you're out of your mind. You mean some of them are military, mili military operatives? Probably. Probably. You know, that's what worries me as a broadcaster. Ukrainian assassins, Russian assassins on our soil intervene. Well, we have to understand, doctor, that we are not invulnerable. Oh, I we know that. I know that. I know that personally. Yeah. I mean, I've been attacked just last week in a restaurant. Something happened. I don't even want to bring it up because it'll trigger. These things are, and I didn't say it was a Russian or Ukrainian. It wasn't. But we have our own indigenous violent streak of uh, indigenously violent streak of people in this country who are hands off right now with their hatred and their and their militancy. I actually am surprised that we haven't seen more of what you are you know, hinting at, but I'd rather not go down that road any more than you do. I suspect that if it gets uh, worse on the war uh, plane, it's going to get worse on the domestic plane as well through such activities as you hinted at just now. Well, we're definitely on the path to more than one financial crisis. What about all these railroad, these railroad derailments? What is that? Is that foreign? Is that Russians playing with our computers? No, I think we've done these things to ourselves. Okay. We, we have enough stupid people out there. To yeah, I'm sorry for asking. Pete Buttigieg, how can I ask any further? Uh, he was busy. <laughs> he was busy doing child rearing. I get it. Uh, and all the other rear admirals that we have in the Navy. I get that. Last question. Again, it's always interested me. The Russians and we have these huge submarines, which I'm fascinated by. One of these gigantic submarines was just mothballed by Russia, one of the giant whales that they built in the 70s. But they still have submarines with ICBMs on them, correct? Yes. Colonel, do we know how many nuclear weapons can be fired from a Russian submarine at any one time? I'm sure we do. That's not an area of expertise for me, obviously, but I'm sure you could find a naval expert that can come on and tell you a great deal about it. But they could take out a number of American cities with the press of a button. Oh, of course. Oh, God. And, and keep in mind that uh, our our submarine fleet is, is, in my judgment, too small. Small. Uh, oh, no. It's too small. It should be much larger. We, we are primarily a maritime and aerospace power. So you don't want to skimp on submarines. Today, in the Navy, they will privately tell you there are only two classes of ships, submarines and targets. <laughs> so the, the age of the big surface fleet is over. I got it. And, and the great strength of the American Navy is really its submarine fleet. I don't think it's, as I said, I feel it's too small. And we, we've made bad decisions over many years, pouring money into the wrong thing, sort of the oh. way we poured money into battleships before World War yes, II. Yes. We've been pouring money into carrier battle groups and other things yeah. where we really needed to pour it into submarines. Well, you need but a transmission. I, I just trans want to say the good news is that our submariners are excellent. That's They're really good. good to know. 
Well, I know that we've probably eliminated some uh, torpedo tubes to put in some trans bathrooms on the submarine. <laughs> and of course, that makes it a better Navy because it's a more diverse Navy colonel. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I know you probably have another interview uh, yeah. scheduled. You should take a nap because I'm going to do it right. <laughs> 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 colonel, a pleasure as well. Very informative. God, we've gone all the way back to Serbia together. We've talked about one year of war in Ukraine, what happens next. And of course, your great title. Everyone should be afraid of war. Amen to that. Colonel, thank you again for being with us today on the Michael Savage podcast. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, sir. Bye now. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.